I want to go from working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to 24 hours a week, seven months a year. Like, how does that develop? What does that need to look like? Stephen Covey wrote a great book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. My favorite habit is begin with the end in mind. Like, what does that need to look like for me to take 20 yeah. weeks of vacation a year, right? baby you guys are in for a treat we got my man wally illibri and wally and i have a really cool story that goes way back and i remember when i first kind of like fell in love with you bromance wise and obviously you've got big business you've got a beautiful wife amazing kids hearing your story when you told that at the tahoe event and you were tearing up on stage telling that story I was just like, this dude's a badass. Uh, you've overcome a lot in your life. You're massively successful. Um, and I'm excited for people to get to know you a little bit on today's show. But first and foremost, man, welcome in. And it's great to see you. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, I've always always loved your energy. always loved learning from you. But this more importantly, you're just a freaking fun dude. And uh, I can be framed as boring sometimes. And I think being around you maybe feel a lot more fun. But uh, you you kind of, you didn't say the full truth there about me tearing up on stage. I was bawling on stage. Like, <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to go too far out there. <laughs> hey, a man, a man that can, you know, tap into his emotions and still be masculine. Like those, those, those are, because there was no weakness in that. It was just transparency and vulnerability. And I mean, and, and maybe you can share a little bit about your journey, right? Because I think it probably ties into some of the chip on your shoulder that led you to building a big business that led you to becoming a great husband that led you to becoming a great father. Right. So maybe you can share a little bit about, you know, what that childhood journey and story looked like for you and how it led you into entrepreneurship. Yeah, man, I think it's, it's one of these things that, um, that was the first time I ever actually shared my story publicly. And the first time to ever share publicly uh, over what 280 men in a room, and I knew probably like five or six. Yeah, and uh, this uncontrollably, you know, the biggest thing is, I I grew up Muslim. I I was born in Alexandria, Egypt, and um, I moved to the states when I was three or four years old. But the what the point of the story is, so growing up Muslim, I never felt um, my dad was my dad was a Muslim imam, which is like a pastor for a mosque, but in the Muslim faith. And I never felt this any kind of love that I felt, and like maybe it was just my household. It was built on fear. I was built on you know, do this, you're going to burn in hell, kind of fear. And what I really enjoyed the most is um, I was I was dating a girl. I was still remember her name, Danielle Gray, and it was I was 14 years old, and uh, she broke up with me. Uh, and I'm like some cocky little 14 year old kid, and I said, you know how like how like what what? And she goes, well, my dad said you're not a Christian, so I can't date you. And she says, um, so what's a 14 year old boy do? Well, tell me about this thing called Christ. <laughs> All I was trying to do is get back with her. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 100%. I had no interest, but I was just going to play the game. And uh, so I going to church with her. And within six months, I accepted Christ. And, you know, I was pretty sly. I kind of held it, kept it with my parents for like a year and a half. 
And, you know, it was one of these things that it was, um, I play soccer growing up. So every time I leave the house, I'd have my soccer uniform on and I'd come back before I'd come back, I'm rubbing some mud or, you know, tearing something on to make it look like I really actually played a game. And I came back from church one day in my soccer uniform, but I, I forgot, I just got lazy and, and, um, and my mom was doing my laundry. And you know these mothers and in, mothers' intuition, right? Oh, they know. <laughs> they know what's up. <laughs> so I came back up with like uniform, like not even like a scratch on it, not even a piece of dirt on it. And um, she ended up started following me. And I can remember coming home one day from uh, from church, and I'm walking in, and it was like an intervention. You know, my dad was there, uh, and they were divorced at the time. Older brother, older brother was there. The younger brother was just too young at the time, but my mom was clearly there. And my, my dad sat me down and said, "Hey, you know what you did is is a pretty big deal, and uh, it's going to look very poorly on him and, and the and the imamship at the mosque. But I needed to change back to being a Muslim, and I was very clear with him that I wasn't going to do that. And here's a sixteen-year-old kid." <laughs> and um you know what happened after that was really you know life defining and when um your father tells you that you're absolutely nothing without him and your father tells me tells you that um that I'm out of the family will or any of that stuff and that he was disowning me and you know the Muslim faith you're supposed to take your child's life if that happens and in his case he just simply kicked me out and, you know, graduating high school, living out of my car, graduating high school, going from couch to couch, graduating high school, trying to figure out where my next meal was. And it went on for months and I finally started getting my way, uh, figuring out my way. And I was 18, finding a job to, to, you know, there's so many people that I look back that were just godsends mm-hmm. that helped me with money for food or rent or, you know, gas or help me get back on my feet or get on my feet, I guess. But, you know, I got in the mortgage business when I was 19 years old. And as I got in the mortgage business at 19 years old, you're right. There is a chip. There is that. There is that. I'm going to prove myself mindset. There is that. I'm good enough. You know, when you grow up, when you don't grow up on much and whatever that much is gets taken away from you, um, you realize like the, you know, some of these kids are born on third base. And I was not one of those kids. But I was in my mind, I was better. In my mind, I had something to prove. And I just poured all my energy into business and poured all my energy into building mortgage and became really successful. I mean, the first year in mortgage when I was 19, broke six figures my first year in mortgage, which like is not unheard of, but it's very rare. Uh, and uh, it was 1999 and I was door knocking apartments. Uh, back then we had a loan program called a 100% financing. And I was door knocking apartments, going to renters to, hey, if I can show you, you can buy a house for less a month than what you're paying rent here, do you, do you, would you fill an application with me? Or we had a big refi boom in 1999, rates went from 11% down to 9% about the dot-coms. And I was door knocking houses for sake of cash outs. You know, there was no one that was ever going to outwork me. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer 
and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first Deep Sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. And I look back at my childhood and what happened then, you know, I've such lived such a very blessed life today, being 44, uh, just simply because I always focus on being the hardest working person in the room. When I was about 33, 34, 35, I started learning how to be the smartest working person in the room. And you learn about leverage and, you know, there's part of the book, which I'm sure we'll probably unpack, but... I talk about this three sets of leverage, and I know you're very familiar with them. It's human leverage, technology leverage, and systems leverage. And you've got to put on different lenses to be able to see different different categories of that. And you know, obviously, you know Robert Kiyosaki and his cash flow quadrant. So I rebuilt that in the mortgage space. And in the mortgage space, you know, the first quadrant is that you are a um, your rookie of the year, but the breakdown to break through the first quadrant down to the second quadrant to go from worker to actually, you know, being self-employed, you've got to be the team leader. And I'm walking through, which I'm not sure if you want me to unpack right now or not. Yeah, do it. Yeah, so um, there's rookie of the year. Next one is star quarterback. Next one is head coach, then the owner. So rookie of the year is a loan, a loan officer or a realtor or somebody who's in business that is just trying to, learn the basics of it yeah. and you want to work your tail off on it. But once you get to that point, you realize there's a ceiling of achievement. There's only so many hours in the day. So for you to go from rookie of the year to break through that next barrier and go to start quarterback, what do you got to do? You've got to learn how to go from, I do it to, we do it. So the book teaches you about lenses, what the lenses you've got to go on from, I do it to, we do it. Now for you to break through the limitation wall of start quarterback and go to the head coach bracket, Head coach, you don't throw the ball, you don't catch the ball, right? You're not the you're not the star on the stage. For you to do that, you got to go from the I do it we to the we do it stage, right? And to go from the head coach bracket down to the owner bracket, you got to go from the we do it stage to the they do it stage. How do you build? How do you build a business that is built on a highway? You help them build the car to get on the highway, and you just become the toll booths. Picking up, fee, picking up fees, picking up residual income as they go down the highway. And that's where the 24-7 mindset comes into play. You know, it was, it was really impactful to me. It was back in 2013. Uh, I'm sorry, two, yeah, 2013. It was 
May 2013, we're going to Disneyland as a family. And this is probably my one of my top three least proudest stories in my life. Least proudest. And I was going to family, family vacation. And uh, I was rolling out my suitcase in the living room. And I see my youngest son standing by the front door and with his little suitcase. He's super excited to go to Disneyland. His name is Alex. Um, he's called, we call him Alexander the Great and my oldest son of the Brave and the Brave. So Alexander standing by the door with his suitcase and Alex looks at me, Maddie, and he goes, oh, dad, you're coming with us? My family was so used to me being gone. My family was so used to me being absent. My family was so used to me being not present and focused so much about business, but everybody on social thought I was a big wig. Everybody at the office thought it was a big deal. I was getting all these awards. I was getting all these sta stage trophies, but I was a phony. I was a fraud. The most important thing about being you know, a, a legendary man is your family and the legacy you leave behind. And I was, and I was not, my audio was not matching my video. So, you know, that moment, that moment on, I started really understanding how do I kind of stop doing the best that I can do? How can I start learning the best way it can be done? Stop doing the best I can do and start learning the best way it can be mm -hmm. done. And as I, as I started looking through those sets of lenses, that's where the 24 seven mindset came about. I don't want to go from working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to 24 hours a week, seven months a year. Like, how does that develop? What does that need to look like? Stephen Covey wrote a great book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. My favorite habit is begin with the end in mind. Like, what does that need to look like for me to take 20 yeah. weeks of vacation a year, right? And it was, it's always been one of those things, or actually, that's funny. Uh, my team made me these. I need to get you one of these. Oh, you got some 24 seven shades. Yeah. Talk about the right. I can't see, I can't see Adam, but they're cool. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's one of these things that you, you realize for you to keep growing in life. I think most people, unfortunately, they end up having to sacrifice their family for yeah. their business. They end up having to sacrifice their health for their business. And there's a way to do it where you flourish in success financially, flourish in business and flourish in wealth without sacrificing your sanity, your time, your spouse, your kids. Yeah. I mean, have you ever experienced any of that? <laughs> Just a tiny bit, right? I think everybody can relate to that. It's it's the people who make the change at some point along the way. They get fed up with that being the reality of the situation, that they do something different about it, right? And I know, obviously, that was kind of a, uh, a critical moment in your journey that you're like, I'm going to do something different about this. What did that transition look like? Because I think that's where a lot of people struggle, right? They see the quadrants. A lot of people know the Kiyosaki quadrants. A lot of people understand that, you know, the, the quadrants you just talked about. But it's the, it's the conviction and the plan of getting from one to the next in that transition that a lot of people get stuck with or don't ever, you know, really take movement on. What did that look like for you? So start reading a book a week. Okay. And a couple of things happen. One, um, obviously, you know, Eric Thomas is, I'm sure, a hip hop preacher. ET. ET. And I was at one of his seminars and I was the, you know, paid for the VIPC right up front. And he humbled me pretty well. Uh, but I was sitting up front and he said, hey, who, who, who reads here? And he goes, who, uh, all right, who reads more than five books, five books a year? 
And instead of raising my hand, my dumbass stood up <laughs> with both hands up. Like I was so big. So he goes, all right, who's read more than 10 books a year? And that year I'd read 16 books. So I shed, I've read 16 books. He goes, oh, awesome. All right, everybody else put their hands down. Uh, what's your name? And he introduces himself to me, shakes, shakes my hand. He goes, all right, tell us the top 16 things that you implemented from those 16 books. Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to say. So, you know, learning from him, understanding how to actually read a book and implement from that book, there's two major things. Super simple, super duper duper simple. So as you read a book, I keep a journal next to me as I'm reading a book. And I have asterisks for ahas. And then I have squares or boxes for tasks I want to accomplish. Oh, that's a great idea. This is, this is how I can relate this. I want to bring it to life. So then today I give it to my assistant and he separates them both. But previously what I would do is I take my ahas, put in this category over here, then I have my tasks. Now I grab three highlights, a red, a yellow, and a green highlight. The red is which, which of the tasks I need to want to accomplish in the next 90 days. So I prioritize them. I'm sorry. Yeah, the next 90 days. The yellow task, which tasks I want to accomplish in the next 60 days. And the green highlighter is which task I want to accomplish in the next 30 days. And I would just, just attack those 30 days. So every single book I read, there was four, five, six ahas I wanted to accomplish over the next 30, 60, 90 days that gave me momentum. Yeah. That taught me actually how to digest a book that gave me the ability to be able to bring it to life. Yeah. I don't know if this is normal or not. This is simply how my brain works. Things are very confusing to me until I can take something that you teach, rebuild it in my head and understand all the steps, then rebuild in a way I can understand it. You know, like for instance, like in the book, there's a mentor of mine named Todd, and he always taught this something called circle cash flow. And it was like the mortgage professionals right here in the middle. And then you've got this circle of like the financial advisor up here, CPA up here. And it just didn't make sense to me. I knew the theory, I understood it. But then I took that and I said, okay, so let's make this a highway. You've got more, you know, realtors, referrals from realtors in one lane. Then if I get a, a CPAs in the next lane, the financial advisors in the next lane, I turn it into a highway. And that's where in the book, I talk about the six lane highway. How do you build a mortgage business or how do you build a business period that allows you to build six lanes of income streams? So my mortgage team today comes in the office and every day, they don't just get referrals from realtors. Every day they get referrals from realtors, CPAs, financial advisors, family will attorneys, insurance, and builders. And the streams of referrals coming in the door. While it stays leveraged for me, and we do a couple hundred million dollars a year, which is, which is amazing in the mortgage space. But I learned that from a book and I learned that from something that was difficult or complicated and I broke it down to bite-sized pieces that I can implement. Uh, the second thing that that really transcended and changed things was I, I started reading a book and then reaching out to the author and becoming friends and learning from the author. I'd say about 85% of them told me to pound sand, but there's you know, 10, 15, sometimes 20% that actually gave me the time of day. And it's pretty neat when you read someone's book and you go to him, him or her and say, hey, I read your book. This is what I learned from it. Here's what I'm confused about. How the hell do you bring this life? This doesn't make sense. What steps are what steps are missing? And oh, smart. And they, yeah, they're able to shed some light on it. 
and being able to actually have the author to walk you through the implementable steps of how to bring their vision to life. It's a huge compliment, compliment to them, yeah. but also it's a huge blessing for me because like it, I can actually bring something to life. There's nothing more frustrating than reading a book, gathering knowledge and being confused how to bring it to life. That just, it, it's such a disappointing feeling. And um, some of these authors were really big in like my, my impact to be able to bring it to life. I love that you really narrowed it down to just a couple key things, right? So many people are looking for a total blueprint, but oftentimes it's really, really simple, right? And you just, you got obsessed over that those those key things there and yeah. i remember when you shared this i don't know i forget when it was this maybe three or four years ago when you shared that though and some of the relationships you've built with big name authors and, yeah. and big name influencers and people just from that one little step and how yeah. many kind of doors behind the doors got opened because of that it, it's always stuck with me and and i i always thought it was brilliant how you shared some of the takeaways but also how you questioned something in the book because I don't know if I was an author and somebody questioned something I'm like how do you not understand this like let me make sure you understand this right now all of a sudden there's this two-way interaction and engagement that I, I just thought that 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 one little piece right there was brilliant so be sure to take note on that guys if you're going to do that right you know a little fluff of the ego but also like some clarification um, I think is a great way to kind of pull and and reel in uh, that individual to a conversation. So as you did that and began building your business, I know you're somebody that's invested heavily in kind of climbing the ladders of or the quadrants that you you mentioned. But I also know as you've invested heavily in your business, your team, systems, people, yourself, you also started building wealth quite significantly along the way as your income grew your investment portfolio grew as well. How did you determine your approach to investing as you were building your business? So, and that's, I mean, that's where your, your path and my path and the friendship and the broadman started. You know, it's one of these things that you, you get in around a group of people. And I don't know what your experience was joining Abundance. You probably had an easier path than I, than I did, I think. But I got rejected the first time. I don't know if you knew that. Knew Did you that. really? Yeah, it was 2000, 2013. It was, I got interviewed by Osborne was a yes. Tim Rhodes was a no. Rock Thomas was a no. And Mark Yeagy was a no. Oh, a bunch of haters. I know. No. <laughs> but looking back, I was a cocky, dumbass kid trying to impress the room. Mm. Right. And and their, their biggest challenge was my um, lack of authenticity. Mm. And there's a lot of like fakeness, which I look back and honestly, they were a thousand percent correct. So salesman Wally comes out and I convince him to give me a 30 day trial. And if I, if I don't, if I don't prove myself in 30 days to each one of you, keep my money, uh, no refund needed. And I'll, I'll just, the 31st day, I'll just move on down the road. So I learned from those rooms, man. I learned from I learned from rooms that I didn't belong in just yet, and I learned to grow into that. I mean, I made a post this morning. It was a Zig Ziglar post. It was "Be Do Have." It's not "Be Have" or "Have Be Do." It's yeah. You got to become that person. You've got to become that person in abundance. Then you've got to do the tasks. You've got to do the hard work. You got to have the integrity, and then you'll be blessed and fortunate to have the, what what's left over of what you've accomplished. 
But, you know, learning those rooms, and I, I remember it was January of 2013, it was that GoBundance world, and that's when I, the 30-day trial. So uh, I bought my first single family in March of 2013, and it all started by a call, call from Osborne, and, you know, David calls me and he says, the stock market had gone down like 500 points or so that day, and he says, um, hey, how much money do you lose in the stock market today? And I said, I don't know, a couple thousand or something like that. And he goes, enjoy enjoy having zero control on your wealth. And he he hangs up. No goodbye. No, that's it. And it was it was tough love from him because that moment I realized, okay, there's a better way of doing it, right? So stop doing the best you can do and start doing it the best way it can be done. Mm-hmm. So March, March 2013, I bought my first single family. By the end of 2013, I bought an 11 single family. Uh, 2014 bought another nine single family, all in like DFW. And I started kind of expand after that. So 2016 got to 45 single family. Then I had to hit the reset button because I made a mistake a little bit on them. I bought I bought doors throughout Texas, but focused on cash flow, not really focused on scalability. Hmm. And you've got so many doors spread around all throughout Texas, and you've got multiple different property managers. It just wasn't scalable. That and also I started learning about cost segregation, started learning about forced depreciation, started learning about capital expenditures. And, you know, back then, you know, 2016, 2017, I was already I was already making over a million a year in mortgage. Right. And when you're spending four hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand dollars a year on taxes and it's just like you've got nothing. You just you know, it's just really frustrating. Yeah. And then I started I bought my first apartment complex in 2017. And uh, it was a 36 unit, a 33 unit apartment complex in Amarillo, Texas. And just started making my mistakes with that. And it was plenty of mistakes with that first one. You know, today on 11 apartment complexes throughout Texas, um, I've got four property managers. So they're lumped in together in different cities that there are multiple ones in different cities. So that's really kept being scalable. And then also I've got, uh, so the four property managers on staff, and now I own a property management company because I brought all that in house. I've got two asset managers and a forensic auditor that audits the financials of those asset managers and property managers on a weekly basis. So it's been built now that it's I maybe spent five hours a month being involved in it. Um, you know, it's it's a massive amount of my portfolio and and being able to have. I mean, I think last year was over seven hundred thousand dollars in cash flow, net cash flow that came from it, and it's residual income from it. But that's not really the most impressive part. The most impressive part is that with these capital expenditures and the cost segregation, last year alone, just last year's tax returns produced a three point six million dollar credit from the IRS on taxes. I mean, it's the next three point six million dollars I make from mortgage income, I pay zero in taxes on, like that. Is a phenomenal Yeah, right. So you make a couple million dollars a year in mortgage, and you're able to live off and invest a couple million dollars, right? And you know that's where I think when you look at the wealthy, how they really compound their wealth is understanding the tax laws, having a tax strategist, and really following their lead from them. So me and my tax strategist meet once a quarter, walk them through what I'm doing and how I'm building where and. For 24-7 Mindset, we just launched the Academy, and we launched our, the uh, the courses for it last week, uh, a six-figure launch. 
you know, the, the first, the first launch was, was amazing within the first day. And it was, it's been great for the fact of like being able to now I'm making a residual income off my wisdom mm -hmm. instead of before I was making an earned income off my efforts. Time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Right. Cause I don't know anybody that wouldn't want to work 24 hours in one week and only yeah. seven months out of the year and take 20 weeks off. I mean, you just talked about being in Europe for three weeks with your kids and the priceless memories and experiences that you created there, right? The times that you and Nikki get to go and travel and do all kinds of things. And you said you weren't fun, bro. I saw you pop in screaming Eagle. That's fun. I like, don't, don't be downplaying me. I see, I see you living the good life. <laughs> um, so, so talk a little bit about how the book came about and, and, and how you actually decided to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to package this wisdom up and really teach people how they can you know incrementally work towards 20 weeks off yeah. every single year because that's a beautiful thing and honestly man that's nothing to you know to overlook you should be extremely proud of it and it's it's inspiring for anybody that's paying attention i mean the, the book came out of a jealousy moment and the jealousy <laughs> moment jealousy moment came from one of my neighbors he got a new porsche like five years ago and he was such a gracious dude. He goes, Hey, why don't you take it, take it for the weekend and spring it back to me Monday? I'm like, Hell yeah. And I remember sitting in the car with Braden. He's the one that turns 18 today. Sitting in the car with Braden five years ago. So he's 13. He goes, Oh my God. He goes, Mr. Chapman's so rich. He's got a Porsche. And dad, do you know he's an author? I'm like, So he goes, Dad, he's an author. He's got his, he has books. I'm like, what was I mean? Well, he's really famous, Dad. I'm like, all right, Mother Trucker. Okay. <laughs> so I said, all right, what if your dad writes a book? And he goes, Dad, you won't. And kids these days call it full cap. That's full cap. Yeah, that's cap. That's cap. And, and, um, well, I got a question for you. Totally squirrel moment. Have you heard of Slap? No. It just came out. It probably, it probably hit you girls soon. This is a new so, word. It's a new word. Sounds like a plan. Slap. Okay. I can get behind that. Yeah. So they told me to slap dad like. <laughs> oh <my> like <laughs> yeah, these kids, man. So Bray and I made a bet and he said, hey, I'll give you five years to write your book. Or, or dad, you owe me $500. So uh, the five years technically ended uh, at the end of 2020, but it was a COVID year. So I got him to extend it a couple of years for me. So that's where the book idea came from, wanting to be an author came from. But I think once I learned, you know, I remember I watched Osborne launch Wealth Can't Wait. Yeah. And that was, that was a huge success and it was absolutely massive. And it was one of these things that, you know, I remember sitting him, sitting with him in a poolside in Cabo. And I said, hey, like, what's what's next? You build an academy? Is it going to be a school? Like, how are you going to monetize this? And he didn't have the energy to, but he was saying, you know, the wealthiest people don't make money off books. They make money off, it grows your speaking engagements from there. And, you know, being, being the number one loan officer in town or a number one mortgage business in town is great and all, but I'm not number one in the state and I'm not number one in the country. And being number one is not really, you know, the goal. I think that's a great outcome for my team, but I think impacting loan officers nationwide where they can have the same lifestyle. Uh, one of my least favorite words, I'm not going to say the word hate, but one of my least favorite words is when someone says that I'm a unicorn. 
And it frustrates me so much because there's nothing special about me. There's nothing that I've done that someone else can't do. Mm-hmm. And it gets really frustrating when you get come off these speaking engagements and you're on stage and someone who wants a selfie with you and tells you, oh my God, you know, like, like it, it, you're, you're, so you're, lucky. you're so lucky, you're so special. And I'm like, dude, there's not a damn thing that's special about me. And it's one of these things that it's, it's really, it's an understanding of what steps to take. So the goal that I'm, the goal that my number one goal and mission that I'm trying to build with this book is that where business professionals, not just in mortgage, understand with the three steps of leverage, which is uh, human leverage, systems leverage, and technology leverage, and understanding the different lenses that you've got to put on, that I do it, that we do it, and that they do it, they can build a career much bigger than mine while you're making millions a year and you're, and you're, it's, and you're making a residual income. You know, most people, they, they get stuck in this earned income space and you know, unfortunately, in mortgage, it's an earned income industry. And, you know, being able to build an earned income industry turn into a passive income industry that I'm not in the day-to-day of doing loans, but I make seven figures multiple, multiple yearly from my mortgage team, and I'm not in the day-to-day, and it's and it's a residual income. That, to me, is just a massive experience that people can reduplicate. So the book is, how do you reduplicate it? How do you implement it? How do you bring it to life? I think so many books talk about the why of what their theory is. Not many yeah. books ever give you that the how, the yeah. when, the, and the who. And the book teaches you uh, also, most importantly, that you can scale who, you can't scale what. And I think so many people, unfortunately, try to scale what until they can learn how to scale who. Mm. You, know, you build a, now I've built a highway for own business and and built a highway with with the six lane highway. And then all I've got to do is now I've got to invite loan officers, mortgage professionals, bring their, bring your car and drive down my highway. And I'm just become the toll booth and just collecting tolls as they go and, and adding value to them as they go and help them build their business as they go. But it puts me in a position where I continue to stay leveraged. So, you know, before in the past, I used to teach all this for years, but you had to come work for me for me to be able to teach it. Now writing the book and now writing the academy and doing the podcast and everything else I'm doing, uh, you don't need to come work for me. Here's everything, anything, you go bring it to life. I love it. What's your favorite chapter that you wrote and why? Um, ooh, that's a great one. Um, I'd just say the first one, honestly, the 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 mindset of the why. And I share the story about Alexander, the one I shared to you earlier read Disneyland. And I made a commitment that it was unacceptable for me to be an absent father. I made a commitment that it was unacceptable for me to be a uh, absent husband. And I remember talking at a mortgage conference on stage. And of course, I was bawling again. But there's over 2,000 loan officers in the audience. And I told publicly that I was a fraud. And I told everyone that I was a... Um, I was an absent father and an absent husband and all the accolades that they've always given me like were, were meaningless because I was fake. And, and I explained why it was because like, you know, you guys praise me about my production, but you know, I haven't made a dinner in like weeks, you know, you praise me about my results and you, you admire my success and how much money I can generate and the loans that I can close. But, you know, I haven't had a date night my wife in like months. And it was, it's a different uh, response that I expected. 
Um, it was absolutely applause, standing ovation. And it was, it was the moment of my life that it, uh, it was October, 2013. It was the number one moment in my life that I felt uh, lighter. I felt freer. I felt, I felt because I, I, I could stop being a phony. And there's so much pressure when you've got to fake it. You know, the old adage, fake, fake it till you make it. Yeah. And there's so much pressure that I felt about feeling like I always had to be perfect. Always had to have the right answer. Always had to, I was always judged by my life's success. And it was so freeing um, to tell the world that I was a phony and a fraud, but I was making a commitment to be a better father and a better husband. And the support and love that I got was outstanding. Mm. I love that. It is crazy, right? How the the truth, while it's uh, painful or oftentimes embarrassing or whatever you want to call it, right? It is what sets you free. And then what you decide to do with that obviously is, is what makes the difference between people who course correct and go on to do what you do and other people who, you know, live with that guilt and shame and allow it to, you know, keep them in that rut and that space forever. I'm very excited for people to be able to get their hands on the book. Where is the best place for people to one, get the book and two, just follow more of the great content that you're always putting out? Yeah. So uh, thank you. Uh, so the book launches October 25th and it goes out. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. Um, you get that. They get the audio book, um, which is I've got a confession about the audio book. I don't know if I should be saying this or not, but I read like a third, like a three roll. I read very poorly. And especially if I'm going to read into Mike and read out loud. So the audio book is my voice, but it's AI. Oh, nice. Super cool, dude. Did you guys use the Jasper or whatever that was? Uh -huh. And then I sent it, we sent it off to like this editor that could would make it less robotic and like high pitch and like big noise and like understanding and oh, the cool. tone and the pitch. And, and it's super cool when you struggle reading to be especially publicly to be able to hear an audiobook because I was I was interviewing audiobook artists or I guess ghost authors for audiobooks or whatever and, yep. and it was going to be somebody else's voice and um it's real I'm really proud it's my voice it's computer generated but still my voice <laughs> I'll be able to a little secret I should probably stop telling people that. No, I think that's cool. I mean, if anything, what it tells me, and it just reaffirms and reminds me of what you said earlier, you, you are the hardest working person out there, but you're also looking to always make sure that you're working as smart as you possibly can, right? And that's just one perfect example. So many cool oh. things in you know the world now that AI can create great leverage for you, still get pretty damn similar, if not spot on results of what you were expecting anyways. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network 
and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Well, it's also, I think, when you study like stats and <clears throat> the book is self published. So, but I was studying stats. It was like when you, my goal is implementation, right? I want you to implement it. And so, the goal of that is that you look at stats and like 87% of audiobooks that are completed, the 87% of audiobooks are completed are in the author's voice and very, and much less percentage, clearly 13% or the audiobooks are completed or somebody else's voice. And it was just really important to me for people to be able to implement. And it was, you know, I was proud of being able to have my voice on there. Uh, but so if you go to Facebook and there's there's a private group called 24-7 Mindset, 24-7 Mindset, you can join the private Facebook community. It's completely free. Um, and or it's um, that from there, once the book comes out on Amazon, I'd love, love for everyone's support to go buy it. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link that up in the show notes, millionermindcast.com on Ellie's, on Ellie, on Wally's episode. And, and be sure to uh, mark that date down, guys, because one of the best ways we can support self-publishing authors is to go buy it, leave a review. And I know anything that you put out, brother, I mean, honestly, we've been in a lot of rooms together, a lot of masterminds, a lot of conversations. And some of my biggest takeaways and biggest ahas are always coming when you and I are, are rapid and having a conversation. So it's good to see you. Always good to connect with you. And uh, we'll be sure to have all of that information on your episode. That being said, I want to wrap up on just kind of your overall thoughts on the market. Um, you know, what 2024 holds and ultimately are you holding back? Are you being cautious right now? What's kind of your plan for how you're attacking your business and or your investing in 2024 with kind of the sentiment that you're feeling out there? You know, it, uh, I got great advice in uh, 2019, you know, when right before COVID hit. And it was, um, you know, when I started making a killing in mortgage, you know, my income doubled in 2020, 21, and it doubled again, 21, 22. And instead of going out there and buying stupid crap, which, you know, cars, boats, planes, blah, 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 I start buying apartment complexes. And what that's produced a lot of cash flow. So I am right now a buyer. So right now I'm seeing so many opportunities that where so many sellers are distressed on the residential single family space. I'm seeing that in mortgage, but also in the multifamily space, and specifically in the multifamily space, you've got yeah. a ton ton of owners that don't know what they're doing. Now they're on adjustable rate mortgages, rate interest rates going up two, three, four percent. And then the rates go from four percent to seven percent. But more importantly, that taxes. Yeah. If you look at what's going on, I don't know where it is how it is in your neck of the woods, but in, in Texas, the taxes have gone up over like 30% the last three years. 
So a lot of these apartment complex owners in Texas do not understand how to dispute the taxes. Well, I've got a tax dispute or attorney that I pay a retainer on every single year. It's only a $12,000 retainer, but this guy saves me six figures a year in taxes. Worth it all day long. Yeah. All day, all day and every day. But a lot of these single apartment complex owners don't have that luxury and don't have that, don't have that reach, right? Yeah. So not only are they in adjustable rate mortgages, but then also on top of that, they are uh, their taxes gone. So cash flow is gone. Cash mm-hmm. flow is not existent, right? So what? So here's a tip for your your world, and this has really helped me a lot. This is number one thing that's really helped me buy off market distressed properties. I don't go to um, I don't go to MLS or I don't go to LoopNet to find properties. I go to property managers, and I ask the property manager a simple question: Who's your biggest pain in the ass owner that you have? Who's that owner that is always harassing you about occupancy, but won't do a damn lick of capital expenditures? Mm-hmm. Right? And everybody loves to vent about it. Okay. So these property managers start just spewing out around, you know, there's this Bob, he's got 35 doors in Lubbock, Texas. He's always harassed. Maybe he won't do it. He, you know, got this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. And they're like, well, t- tell me a little more about Bob. He says, that his one property. He goes, yeah, it's only got one, one apartment complex. Well, tell me how big, I mean, okay. this is a weird question for you here. How much do you, how much do you make a year? And he goes, some people just won't say, but I said, you know, most property managers I talk to between will make somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000, 125,000 a year in, in Lubbock, Texas. Well, that being said, what if I gave you a $50,000 bonus, six, six months worth of your income, if you help me buy that property from Bob off market and at a discount, will that be worth your time? And I'll show you a performance where I can set money aside and do those capital expenditures that you want done. So you can actually have higher occupancy. So you as the property manager can make more money. Yeah. It works every time. That's beautiful. That right there, that is the perfect way to put a little cherry on top of this episode. Because that right there can make a lot of people a lot of money. And not many people are looking and or getting creative with how they lead generate and or incentivize the people to go out and find them deals, right? So I know you're a master at that and we didn't even tap into your investing savvy. But again, 24-7 mindset. Wally, I love you, brother. I appreciate you. You are definitely somebody that has impacted me on my journey and uh, inspired, I know, countless others in your journey as well. So with that being said, thanks for coming on the show today. Love you too, bud. I'll talk to you soon.